Welcome to the Everlasting Education Podcast, where we are promoting the best of education through a gentle contempt for education. Hello, I'm Scott Postma, your host, and joined by Joffrey Swait, our academic advisor at Kepler Education. And Joffrey, we are getting ready for Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Big feasts and great thanks. And lots of pumpkin pie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I've mentioned this several times um, before in our podcast, but uh, Joffrey is a published poet. And uh, we're really delighted today uh, to have him read a couple of his Thanksgiving poems. And then we're going to talk about some of the themes in those poems as they relate to education and, you know, obviously to Thanksgiving. Beautiful. Yeah. I am also really delighted to have a platform from which to read my poems. <laughs> what a great idea, Scott. <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's, it's always um, a special opportunity when we have somebody in-house who is a published poet and, and we can take advantage of that. So, you know, we get that extra special opportunity here. So I hope you guys enjoy. But I'm going to uh, ask Joffrey to read um, his first poem called Thanks Forever. And it's a lengthy poem. It's got three parts to it and fabulous themes. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it because uh, tons of themes about education, classical Christian education. And of course, when we think about Thanksgiving and what we've talked about through this gentle contempt for education is that education is about rearing children to love God and serve him. Amen. Yeah, that's it. All right. So thanks forever. <clears throat> a little epigraph. Uh scriptural quotation to begin from Psalm 52 verses eight and nine. But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give thee thanks forever because thou hast done it. And I will hope in thy name for it is good in the presence of thy saints. Part one, taking time. Why do we mark out special time and why do we mark it with food and with rhyme? The Lordship of Christ's in all of history. He enacts it through means, both obvious and mystery. This poem's about good Jesus, our King, and how he has made us right able to sing thanksgiving to him throughout the whole year for taking away all our dooms and our fears. This poem might get complicated, so I'll explain how it's all related. Adam was put in a garden suite where the fruit of the ground was sufficient meat. All of the earth was his domain. Even time was beneath his reign. For God had made him not to die with eternal life beneath the sky. But when we sinned, we began to fear. As seasons turn, then death draws near. Where once time meant more life with God, now time stalked and ripped and clawed. The pagan man felt the trap of age, that time and death were a bitter cage. So Norsemen, Greek, and the Chinese said time was a circle with no surcease. The seasons and time would go ever round and crush all our cities to powder fine ground. Then Jesus came to make the world new. The circle was broken. Time was made true. While earth and the seasons still cycle and spin, time marches toward her first goal in the end. Creation anew which came and which comes brought a sense of time to his new chosen ones. He's called us to climb up to his holy hill, sing, sing thanks that he saved us, is saving us still. We now mark the year as Christians may, by festival, feast, and by high holy day. A humble spirit and grateful heart for the spiritual food that he does impart. This poem next will tell who hears, Thanksgiving ends and begins the year with gratitude for all his provender as it opens and ends the Christian calendar. Part 2. The Holiday Thanksgiving comes in autumn time, which is the time of fading. 
The glory of the trees is gone, and winter soon comes raiding. And death has stalked us all for long. Death will still come creeping. In winter man has need for bread, and hunger finds him weeping. In spring man watches skies for rain, and knows his life is set on whether earth will grant reward for labor and for sweat. In summer all begins to grow, the beasts and the diseases. If death can close its awful jaw, it never will release us. And so the world will spin its course. Adam counts the seasons. The sons of Adam never make escape by force or reason. But Jesus made the world brand new and Jesus broke the ages. Time had trapped us in a ring. We now ascend in stages. We once were caught by time and death. The seasons were our prison. Now we climb the holy mount and sing that he is risen. Now songs are what will mark our time as we climb to be near. Thanksgiving Day can summon us to sing a festal year. Thanksgiving comes in autumn time, which is the time of reaping. The glory of the fruit lives on for the food that we are keeping. To feast and drink when Advent brings heaven's bread to table. Winter comes, but we are warmed by creation in a stable. All the beasts and all the nations, they all may enter the store. The winter brings epiphany, and nations stream up to the door. Within that door the seed is kept, at Easter it will flourish. We the buried all rise up, with manna we are nourished. The fruit of summer rises up in the time we named ordinary. Where once was jungle, now we find garden, farm, and dairy. From there our summer leads to fall. We've been fed from day to day. A year has cycled fully round. We sang ascent up heaven's way. On Advent Sunday, another year will be marked out in song, where every Sunday is a holy day and festal weeks are long. This new creation and new time is a joy to the grateful. We thank our God who did provide down to every plateful. So this is where our verse can change and cheer our celebration. America may thank our God. The church is his true nation. Our fathers found in hostile land an unexpected mercy. And so do we, and just like they, we feast upon a turkey. So let us thank the one true God for good gifts and for plenty. Begin this year, now raise a cheer in thanks to one for many. Part 3. Thanksgiving for the Turkey We thank our God for the turkey who died, for farmers from Georgia and peanut oil. It's fairly good baked, but it's better deep fried in a pot full of fat that's been brought to a boil. These orange potatoes, which some have called sweet, were never named thus by we honest fellows. To live up to their name, to be proper and meat, we've added brown sugar and also marshmallows. We thank God for beer, this strong, heady ale, with which we toast health and might come from him. Yes, sugar and yeast make beer hearty and hale, as the wine of the spirit gives vigor and vim. So here is good health to the people of God, who love him in every season and day. For he loved us first, which seems a bit odd, but now we're his children, so hip hip, hooray! We children will toast our great God who is father, mighty hen were his chicks, in his bosom we lay. Creator of all, our good guide and our rudder, sustains us each day, so hip hip, Hooray! Again let us cheer our strong God who is Son, came down from heaven so that he may conquer our death, a fight that he won. He's the first roots of life, so hip hip, hooray! Once more we'll cheer our swift God who is Spirit. He's given to us and with us he'll stay, a comfort, a joy whenever we're wearied. He'll never forsake us, so hip hip, hooray! So now raise your glasses and encourage your neighbor with thanksgiving cheer, the God who gives favor. Amen. That's fabulous. I, I don't want you to comment yet on this because we'll get there, but I love that that part three is Thanksgiving for the turkey, and it's all about praising God. So mm. we'll come around to that. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's fabulous. Well, I, I wanted to talk through some of these, the great themes in here and, and kind of get your take as, you know, obviously the author of these. Um, but 
coming around to our idea that uh, everything uh, about education is about rearing our children. It's mm. about uh, transferring our knowledge and understanding of the cosmos or cosmology, if we will, uh, and our theology and, and every part of it, um, whether it's math, whether it's poetry, is all coming back to how do we understand God and our relationship to him in this world. And one of the things that I see through this poem that is fascinating to me uh, be because it might just be one of these kind of pet peeves that I have, that we have this um, calendar that we go by uh, yeah. and, and thinking American calendar that is filled with all kinds of civic holidays. And, and uh, not all of them are, you know, inherently bad things to celebrate, but something about the Christian calendar. And this seems to your, your poem seems to encapsulate a lot of this is the idea that the Christian calendar is a guide, a, a sort of liturgy to life and, and our understanding of Christianity. Yes. So can you talk about how you incorporated that and what does this mean in your, in your poem for us for Thanksgiving? Yeah. And, and this, you know, this is the, the bedrock of, of the idea I'm talking about here really is that the education of our children, the raising of our children um, is us teaching them about the cosmos, what the world is like. And as important it is to, to read books it's more important to eat together mm. and to and to be in time together, not just spend time together, but to to live together, to be in time together. And then we do that in the context of the church. What we don't want to be doing is experiencing the world or and experiencing time the way the secular ages tell us to. Mm. Right? Uh, all of this is by God and for God. Um, and so, well. I wouldn't necessarily say that, hey, we, we all have to, we should all follow this Western church calendar. Mm -hmm. The virtue of the church calendar is that it, it puts time where it belongs. Our lives happen in this world that God made, and our lives happen for God. And then when we have our children with us, that's, that, that's part of it, right? We're not just eating for sustenance, and we're not just breathing to get to the next second. This all has a purpose. This all has a reason. It's all going somewhere. Oh, I love that. I, I, I'm always reminded when we talk about these things, when my daughter was really little and, and part of it probably had to do with a very busy schedule, but she just asked one day, and I think she was probably like seven or eight. She's like, dad, is, is life just days and days and days? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Like we just do days and days over again. Yeah. And, and, you know, to someone who may not understand why we do what we do, everything from celebration to work and, and, yes. and just being together. Uh, it could seem that way, especially if it seems meaningless. That's right? certainly what the world is telling us. Yeah. that life is days and days, and you know, and how how that leads to very sad festivals like Labor Day. Uh, you know, the best thing you can hope for Labor Day is that it's a sunny day off that you can grill up some hot dogs. Yeah, like what right. meaning does it have? Yeah, I, I well, you, you I, I don't want to take away from the poem because you get me on this communistic sort of uh, emphasis here that is in, <laughs> in, in, inbred into our culture. But um, so you open actually uh, taking time, and I love that title for that first section. Why do we mark out special time, and why do we mark it with food and with rhyme? So this special time is marked. By food, eating, yeah, and by rhyme, poetry, yeah. Can you elaborate on that? So I, I know, and, and let me just say this. Sorry, before I, uh, 
sometimes unpacking poetry is like dissecting a frog. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and so forgive me, I, I don't want to do that to your poetry uh, because uh, it's special in that way. But I think some of these themes are worth unpacking if, yeah. if we could bear with well, it. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm honored that, uh, that you think my poem is, is worth this sort of treatment. Yeah. Although you're absolutely right. I think I've mentioned before on, uh, or at least on the previous podcast in, in that iteration, uh, a Billy Collins poem about a, a, a class of college students trying to understand a poem and, you know, he pictures like the poem as a man and they end up like beating it with a hose to, <laughs> yeah. to get out what it really means, you know? Uh, but, no, but, but, you know, there, there, there are some great things in here that, that I want people to be thoughtful about. So thank you for being thoughtful about them. Um, yeah. You know, so one of the definitions of poetry, and it's a very limited one, uh, is that poetry is elevated language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if we start with that, um, then, you know, when we, we, we think about marking out special time and marking out time, we, how do we do those things? Well, usually we do it with holidays and with festivals and, and, and what marks those things. It's all the foods and traditions that go with that, but it's also the awareness of it and being able to speak about it. That's why dad offers a toast, mm, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we, we need to tell each other, this is what this means, right? right? Once we were in Egypt and then we ate these bitter herbs. Right. Like this, this, it means something with the words. So the words elevate it. And, you know, in a sense, we should be poetic about all things and poetic about all words. So that even if you're writing an article for your school newspaper, um, you're being poetic about it in the appropriate way. Your language is elevated, yes. right? You're, you're treating it like the magic that it is. It's like taking the, uh, the forest and cultivating it into a garden, if you will. You know, there's something mm-hmm. beautiful about that, something meaningful, uh, and and you're giving that significance. And you know, and I, I'll just kind of mention as an aside, you know, this is where the more fulsome your education is, the more fulsome your poetry, your mm-hmm. uh, your your language is. Which means that although the most important aspect of a holiday and really of just time is, hey, we're going to live this together, we're going to eat together right now, but to make it fuller, to make it richer, you need words. And, you know, the more you can bring to come into that, right? Yeah. The more that, the more you have that copiousness, the better. Well, you, you said that poetry is elevated language. I've also heard it as condensed language mm-hmm. as well, right? We're, we're condensing a lot of thought into a, into a single word. So this idea that, you know, this poem is about Thanksgiving. And so this idea of a special time that's marked out with food, I mean, obviously we're, th- this is what we do at Thanksgiving. Um, I, I'm often surprised, um, and maybe this is, is completely an American sort of thing, but I'm often surprised at how commercial and almost, um, given the fact that we eat so much food, it's, it's almost kind of shallow, uh, in our celebrations to a, to a point. I remember one year I was uh, on a mission trip. We were in the Philippines and it was during Thanksgiving. So they were having a a conference, asked me to speak and and be a part of this, but it happened to be during Thanksgiving. And so our kids stayed here and, and we, my wife and I went over to the Philippines. And so they were asking us about the holiday and their perception of Thanksgiving for Americans, uh, the, at least the folks we were talking with said, so is it true that the government gives everybody a free Turkey? Um, and everybody eats a Turkey on that day. Like that's how, that's what, so to, in their perception, Thanksgiving was about eating a Turkey that was supplied by the government. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But that's probably not too far off 
from what right. most people, even in America, what we the way we treat these these sort of holidays, and and that it, it might even be connected a little bit to when you study the Old Testament, um, the festivals and the and the feasts. When you, I don't know that we could probably keep up with the the amount of time and the amount of food and all the that partying of, yeah, yeah. I, I mean it, it's it's quite amazing so are you saying then that this marked time um just like words need to be elevated uh or or you know our words need to be elevated in in, in poetic our food uh is another representation of this so the time that we're spending this marked time should be elevated in some way. Absolutely. So that time is life is not just days and days. Right. Right. Um, and you know, one of the themes that, uh, that I unpack in this taking time is how, you know, t- time, time for pagans is a wheel that crushes us underfoot. And that's yeah. why so many, uh, you know, cosmologies, pagan cosmologies involve time as a circle. Yes. Right. And then, and Ragnarok just comes again and again yeah. and again, <laughs> and there's no escape We have reincarnation and there's no escape. Um, and of course, time is cyclical, right? We see that. You sure. see the years come and go again and again, following the same pattern. And yet somehow, miraculously, time is linear. Yes. Right? Um, and so not only is it linear, it's going somewhere. That's, that's the key point to, to what you're talking about here, the, the circular idea that brought the darkness really to the Norse. I mean, when you think of the Norse theology, I mean, it's dark, it's, it's heavy, uh, or even the Chinese, um, this isn't just linear in terms of days and days, you know, now that we're just straightening out the circle, we're actually on a trajectory with a destination. What the circle does with the line is, is help us to elevate, right? So we talked, we've talked about elevating words. We've talked about elevating food. We also want to elevate time right? To help our children see that their lives mean something. Yes. That in fact, life is not just days and days. It can feel that way. We've all read Ecclesiastes, yeah. but God has told us that it's, it, it means something. Yes. Right. And so if that's the case, then by faith, we need to elevate time as well. And how, how can we elevate time through celebration? So what, uh, th- this is a little bit, it's not off topic, but it's a little bit deviating from talk, unpacking the poem. What are some ways that would be good for families to elevate this time together? Let's say, um, you know, we, we as Americans are already, uh, you know, we, we pretty gluttonous in terms of, of the amount of things we consume in a consumer sense. Yeah. So we're going to mark this time out with more consumerism, or at right. least some people would think that would be the, the case. What are some ways that we could celebrate a special time like Thanksgiving? And, and I might be jumping ahead here, but uh, going down a few uh, lines, you talk about the way that it, it sort of leads out in Advent or leads out in the calendar, you know, it kind of right. marks off the whole calendar with Thanksgiving. How can we celebrate Thanksgiving? Give me my point. How do we celebrate Thanksgiving in a way that isn't just the mundane um, consumerism that we that yeah. we experience? Well, you know, holidays have so much to do with our identity, and Thanksgiving has to do both with our identity as Christians and our identity as Americans. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not a church holiday, yeah. Right. So that 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 means it's a great opportunity. The first thing I would say is actually sort of a negative, which it would be. Think about what your identity is, what your priorities are in Christ, and 
cut out the poems, the the uh, holidays that dilute all of this, uh, yeah. right? Get rid of all these civic holidays that we're supposed to be celebrating. All of these these days off that the government is granting us, as if it were a, a turkey from a, you know, from the <laughs> Philippines, <laughs> you know, and because because they dilute the story. Yes, right. What's the story? Well, for us, you know, those are most people listening to this podcast. Well, first we're a Christian. We're Christians. Yeah, you know, this this that, that is the fundamental identity. But we are we we have a particular story. We're American Christians, and even if you are just a second generation American, um, or if you your ancestors arrived on the Mayflower, you're part of that story. Um, and so, you know, Thanksgiving actually is. You know, I think the only legitimate holidays we have as Americans are July the Fourth and Thanksgiving, yep. because they tell stories. Yep. The only uh, the other legitimate holidays are all Christian holidays anyway, right? Like Christmas and Easter, et cetera, right? There's more than that, but and so you know, and if part of, if if you're if you're some Italian in New York or New Jersey and you want to celebrate Columbus Day, that's fine too, right? Because it, it's part of the story, part of the identity. <laughs> sure. But you need to make sure that it means something. It's not just some concession yeah. from the government, but this is part of your story that you're telling your family about who you are. And so then. You know, then the next thought is, okay, well, what what is Thanksgiving supposed to be? And that's when we get into, oh, well, maybe we'll, we'll make a, a paper turkey with our hands, uh-huh. or or whatever the traditions might be. And the traditions can be very different, as with any holiday. They they just ought to be elevating the time. Okay, so I, I'm hearing you actually say, in in one sense, we elevate that time, we elevate that celebration, but that may also mean that we are making the other times leaner. In, yeah. in sense of what we're in, in, engaging in and what other stories are being told that's diluting the story. Yeah, that's right. And I, th- I think that dilution is a really a key idea. And, you know, and me placing in this poem, you know, talking about Advent, because it's usually just one week between mm-hmm. Thanksgiving and Advent. And that's when we can say, and there's a reason people often buy Christmas trees over yep. that Thanksgiving break. And I guess I'm saying embrace that. Yeah. You know, don't be grumpy about people buying Christmas trees too early. Just go ahead and roll right into this, you know, this special time starting with Thanksgiving and then it's Advent, so build up for Christmas and then it's Christmas. And then if you want to do something for the new year, but actually in my family, we, we, we don't do anything for the new year because I think it conflicts with what I want to teach my children about time. Because mm. Epiphany usually is going to come right after exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. We, do, we do do some things for Epiphany. Okay. Right? So, you know, we have some traditions for Epiphany that involve uh, camels and and grass and shoeboxes, which we can <laughs> talk about later. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. So you say that this poem uh, might get complicated, so you're going to explain how it's all related. Mm. And and so there is a relationship here, right? There's a relationship with the Christian calendar. There's a relationship with the story. There's a relationship with the particular holiday of Thanksgiving. Um, and and this is this is particular to American Christianity. Yes. When we look at the Puritans and, and, and the, the, um, you know, the founding of our country based on these, these principles. You know, and there are people who use, you know, who think of American Christianity as being, uh, you know, a, a very special and uniquely destined sort of Christianity. But then, you know, that creates a reaction where, you know, most often I hear American Christianity in a disparaging way. Yeah. And, and what I, what I wanted to do with this first part of the poem is to place Thanksgiving in the context of Christian history, we are American Christians. Of course, we're going to celebrate Christmas because we're Christians. Yeah. Of course, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving because we're Americans, right? <laughs> like, let's just fit it, this in together to our story as American Christians. Yeah, I, well, I, I love that. So 
the story, as it's all related, begins um, with the the story of Adam in the garden, right? Right. And so then it goes to the Adam in the garden. We go into the fall. Uh, and you you mentioned in this um, what is it the fourth stanza? But when we send again, uh, when we send, we begin to fear as seasons turn. Then death draws near. So the sin is what makes it days and days and days and yes. days, right? So and 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 it, it makes time something to be dreaded. Yeah. Right. Oh, another birthday. Oh, you know, this is more suffering, more more pain ahead, and it makes holidays dumb. Ah. Uh, right. The the you know the. Pagans don't get to be happy about time, right? <laughs> right. All they get to do, the, the, they, they, they have festivals for the same reasons they have sacrifices, to appease that which they fear. Uh, we get to celebrate. Right. And that's, that's kind of crazy that death is stalking us, and yet we're partying. Yes, we're, we're celebrating the fact that death now means something different for us. Um, okay, so... Then you, you move into the way that time works for the pagans, and then Jesus came to make the world new. The circle was broken. Time was made true. And it sounds like what you've already explained uh, was one of my next questions. What does that mean that time is made true? Yeah, it, it means that, that not only is it so the circle is broken, it's made linear, but, but with an objective. So I close that verse out with, he's, cli- he's called us to climb up to his holy hill Saying thanks that he saved us is saving us still. So you know, as we walk through time, we're not just trudging. Generations have trod, have trod, have trod. It's not that, yeah. right? It's it actually is. We're 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 going somewhere, and where we're going is a great city where there will be a great feast. Does this does this play for you at all um, eschatologically in terms of your um, your view of eschatology does this just play into that poem at all yeah absolutely i mean i i I, you know every christian must be an an optimist about the fate of god's people um but i i do i do believe that that this that the world is being redeemed i say the world i mean the cosmos Uh right the cosmos is being is being redeemed the cosmos is being sanctified and make made new uh just like us which means that the feasts that we celebrate now not only point to a future, but they mean something now as well, right? Uh, and so, you know, there there will be a great feast one day, and so there's a great feast now because of that. It's just maybe not a capital G great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I don't want to put you on the spot too hard here, but when we're talking about eschatology, that time is going somewhere. I, by the way, I feel like I did an admiral job of an initial dodge. Go ahead, you nail, did. Go ahead no, no, me down. no, you did. You did good. <laughs> uh, you said that Christians must be optimistic. Yet, when we were, if we were to survey the general populace of American Christians who yes. celebrate Thanksgiving and eat turkey every year they don't possess by their statement of faith what we would call an optimistic eschatology. What does that mean? And, and can you elaborate on that? I, this is what I mean by putting you on the spot. Yeah, well, I think that's, that, I think that's true, and it's the reason our, our holidays are so shoddy, mm-hmm. right? Um, is that we, we, because we're not optimistic uh, about God's world, um, we're not incarnational, we're not celebrational, we're, we're bad cooks, we're just trying to get through. And in fact, Thanksgiving and Christmas can become things to get through. People post articles about how suicide rates skyrocket yes, yep. and complain about spending time with their in-laws. <laughs> That's what it becomes about. Right. And then they make jokes and they come back to work about how tired they are 
because of the people they had to spend time with over Thanksgiving. There's no sense of, of, of celebration and meaning so often, right? So it's just this constant shallowing of everything. And so when you're not, when you know, you're not eschatologically optimistic, life becomes shallower, more meaningless. Just, you're just, you're just waiting for death and death's sweet release. And so, you know, our holidays are that way as well. If we flip that, if we make a point of celebrating our holidays, of trying to cook well, of being incarnational and poetic about everything, then our, our, that is a, is a kind of a, a way of jumpstarting meaning in our life. Yeah. Right. Cause it is it's so easy to get depressed. Sure. Well, I, I think what you're saying here, just to, to put it in, in some part of our education, if it's to teach about the cosmology, then the way we celebrate is teaching our children eschatology. Yes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're teaching them what to think about the future. And at no time did I say post-millennial. No, you didn't. <laughs> uh, Oops. But, uh, and, and I, I didn't say dispensational pre-millennial either. Okay. So we're going to mark the year as Christians may by festival, feast, and by high holy day. So these you're saying, or you're implying in the poem, this is what we mark our years by. This is how, instead of it being days and days and days, it's, we're living from one, in a sense, we're living from one festival to the next. Not to say that our, our daily, ordinary, even in the ordinary time on the, on the Christian calendar, isn't important and meaningful, but there's something to living instead from day to day, yes. not from festival to festival. And I hope you can see how, how the, the cyclical, the circular nature of time feeds into the linear. Uh-huh. Like we, we're, just, we're just looping around again and again as we go forward. Like the wheels on a car and the most fundamental unit of movement, I would say it's not the day, but rather the week with the Sunday feast, uh, right? You start yes. with that. Yep. You start with it. We, we are excited to be concluding our Sunday worship and be getting ready for the next one, right? That's the main rotation yep. of this wheel as, as that drives us through time, right? The wheel of the pagans, all it did was crush us. And it was the very same wheel every single time, but there, there is a wheel to Christian time. And it's one that moves the vehicle along and every rotation is a week, I would say. It's it's interesting that many calendars today start with Monday as being right. the first day of the week, right? And and they, once again, there's a liturgy to that yes. kind of time. And those are the little things that you can do to your family culture, to your family's education, yep. to change their world and, dare we say it, their worldview. Whoa, the week starts on Sunday. Our calendars start with Sunday. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and what a what a joy to live a life. It, it gives a purpose. I, I just wrote recently for our teachers a little segment on um, you know, this question that everybody always asks, why do I need to learn that? Right? How am I ever going to use that? Yeah. And and part of that is understanding what the big story is. That's that's the key. So so with gratitude for all his provender as it opens and ends the Christian calendar. So you're saying Thanksgiving in this poem, anyway, the Thanksgiving opens and ends the Christian calendar. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying in any sort of definitive way. I'm yep. just encouraging. Cause I originally wrote this, uh, to be performed at a great feast. Okay. Some friends had invited, you know, there was like 200 people and there were rock throwing contests and all sorts of, there was this, you know, it was an extravaganza and this poem was written for that. And so I really wanted to embrace Thanksgiving. Um, and, and sort of, you know, give it a place. So I was suggesting, Hey, you know what? Christmas is coming up. Advent's coming up. Let's really like jumpstart this year by, by self-consciously making Thanksgiving carry some of this, this sacred weight. 
Yeah, I love that. Well, that's the great thing about poetry. Without being definitive in a you know in a theological or philosophical sense, it is uh, a different perspective, right? Yeah. It gives us a perspective on the calendar. So in the second part, um, you relate the way that Thanksgiving comes in autumn time and how the different seasons tell a different part of the story. Yeah, so I, I, I cycle through the seasons twice. The first time, how each season is terrible, mm-hmm. right? And it's going to find ways to kill us. <laughs> uh, and then the second time, after Jesus, uh, how each season is wonderful, and that Thanksgiving comes in the time of harvest. Yes. So even even your poem is making that progress, you know, circular and right. progressive at the same time. Yes. But progressive in the right way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Actually progressive. <laughs> real, real progression. All right. But Jesus made the world brand new. And when Jesus broke uh, the ages, time had trapped us in a ring and now ascend. Uh, we, uh, we now ascend in stages. So there's, there's that summary of that concept that you're giving us. Yep. So, uh, another time here, you talk about songs are what will mark our time. And so we talked about how food and rhyme or food and poetry um, is a way of, of uh, highlighting or elevating the day so that we can mark it out. How does song play into our festivals? Well, this connects to what we were talking about with poetry a little earlier. It's the same thought, really, but I'll, I'll, I'll read these two stanzas again. We once were caught by time and death. The seasons were our prison. Now we climb the holy mount and sing that he is risen. Now songs are what will mark our time as we climb to be near. So the idea is that, you know, I'm, I'm comparing it to the, the, the songs of ascent, to the Psalms, to going up to Jerusalem to celebrate, yes. right? And, 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 and the, the Israelites sang songs while they did it. Um, and so, you know, this obviously is that, that, that heightened awareness of, of, of word and creating the celebration and the connection and the communion through words. Um, and so, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, song and poem are the same. Yeah, I, and and I think historically, obviously, that's that's been true. Now, I, you know, when you imagine marching up, I mean, I, I don't know how it was, but I imagine that as these as these great families and clans traveled together, it got to be pretty routine. You know, we usually sing this song at the at the foot of the ascent, and by the time we're halfway up, we're on this one, and that one's my favorite, right? I mean, there there yes, must have sure. been a rhythm to it, and maybe it was particular to each clan, but there must have been a great rhythm to the whole climb, not just to each song. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of, of imagining that, um, you know, that experience. I, I think for me, on, on a personal level, um, while song has always been a part of my Christian walk in terms of, you know, singing at church and, and singing songs, it's always it was always treated, uh, or at least in the early days, treated sort of on the periphery or sort of as um, an accessory to the the rest of worship. Um, but I, I guess I'd say probably in the last decade of my life, I've begun to understand more and more how song is fundamental, mm. right? Singing is fundamental to you know elevating our days or or marking out certain things, and 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 there really is in many ways. Um, our hymns are an education in in of themselves, telling yes. these stories over and over again. I mean, so- song is a great way to to store His Word in our hearts, yeah. and, and that's just where it starts, yep. right? And so, yeah, it's it, music and poetry, and the and the way that connects to our hearts and to our minds uh, is something that educationally you would be neglectful mm-hmm. to 
neglectful to neglect. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, what have I done? Neglect. I'm a poet. You're a poet. <laughs> <laughs> neglectful to neglect. So I, I, there's this one particular line here that stands out to me or part of a stanza that I, I just love. Well, I'll just read this whole stanza. All the beasts and all the nations, um, they all may enter the store. The winter brings epiphany and nations stream up to the door. And what I guess what really strikes me about this is the way that you're moving through the the gospel story that when we come now to the nations, how epiphany really mm. relates to the nations coming to Christ, right? Yeah. So Yeah, and, and and this is we have to realize that our family life is cosmic, mm-hmm. that we're part of the whole story. It it matters that the that the that the magi were on those on those camels and, and it matters you know that that the nations are all coming in, and it matters that there are, there are. We'll just bring in the Philippines again. That there are Filipino Christians and there are brothers and sisters, and we connect to them, and we want to tell these stories to our children as if that were true. Yes, absolutely. So the third part, um, get over here to it. Thanksgiving for the turkey. Yeah, just having fun with the food. I love it. <laughs> uh, I when I when I first heard the the title of that, I imagined okay, this is Thanksgiving from the turkey's perspective, right? <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh oh. But no, it isn't. It isn't that at all. That would have uh, been hilarious, though. Yeah, Come on. That's good. <laughs> uh, and then this second line, I, I I don't know. Jimmy Carter automatically came to my mind. George, uh, Georgia and the peanut oil. <laughs> yeah. But no. So we thank God. The deep fried turkey is amazing. Oh, it is good. I've had deep fried turkey. Um, my brother makes it. It's great. So you you. Uh, begin to deal with the food and and talk about the different you know things. Is there anything to the idea of what food we actually eat um, at Thanksgiving? Do you think there's any? I mean, the the poem seems to indicate that. Um, I'm just curious: is this just a personal preference, or is there anything to this telling the story? Yeah, I wanted to reinforce principally. I wanted to reinforce tradition, mm-hmm. right? And and actually, I have I actually have a a a grumpy and controversial history with thanksgiving okay um so i'm going to take a little time on this podcast to confess some of that and actually these feasts that i began writing these poems for were part of my conversion Mm. um so and not my conversion to christianity i mean just to loving (laughs) things to to loving things Uh, you know most listeners know that i I wasn't raised in the united states and uh, my dad's brazilian and we didn't do anything for thanksgiving really when i was a little kid um and even when we moved to the States, my dad just didn't want to do Thanksgiving. He didn't like turkey, which is, is very understandable. I, I still kind of, I mean, I find it I'm still a mediocre flesh. Okay. Um, and he's like, I'm not going to, I mean, it's a holiday. Why would I eat turkey? But when he finally relented and was like, okay, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving, relented. My mom is the American and she wanted to celebrate Thanksgiving. And so, okay, we'll celebrate Thanksgiving. Steak. So we had filet mignon for every Thanksgiving for years, mm. which was wonderful (laughs) but it also it wasn't thanksgiving yeah it was just what we did on thanksgiving um and there are a lot of thanksgiving dishes that uh you know mostly because i don't have the the childhood associations with them i don't like i don't like green bean casserole i don't like sweet potatoes that's anathema we're shutting this podcast down (laughs) i don't i don't like sweet potatoes with with marshmallows and brown sugar so i i actually wrote a verse about the the virtues of that because you know i've i've in a way i've had to make myself like thanksgiving um but i i mean everything i've i've said in these poems you know this is you know this, uh, the 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 tradition itself has has value and 
I included both. So I, I did talk about beer in one of the verses, but the two foods I talked about are, are turkey and, and and sweet potatoes. Those are both American, mm-hmm. at least from the Americas, sure. right? And, and so there, there's the, the food is important because it's an American holiday. Yeah. And we're eating American foods, other than foods like actually from the Americas. Our ancestors in Europe or elsewhere would not have had the opportunity. They couldn't have eaten those, that stuff, right? right? right. Uh, and, and so that, that's a key part of it. It's telling part of the story. Now, ideally, you can deep fry the turkey so it's more delicious, right? There's nothing wrong <laughs> with improving certain things. But, but you know, tradition should mean something. And, and these traditions, in fact, do. This is American stuff, and this is an American holiday, and that's cool. Yeah. Well, I, I love it, and, and the way you're framing this as, as an American holiday. When you go back, uh, there's a, a great work, if, if um, some of our listeners haven't read it yet. I think it's pretty accessible, Morse Relation, uh, as well as Will, William Bradford's uh, journals, that Plymouth Plantation, I think, or on Plymouth Plantation. Uh, both of those are fairly accessible, but in uh, Morse Relation, uh, they talk about um, what they ate for that first Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. you know, and um, steak is in there because they was venison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so they, they went in and, you know, they, they brought deer and, and the fowl and, and the turkey and the, and the various, you know, vegetables. I don't think it tells everything, but, but they, they harvested what they harvested from the ground with the, what the native Americans brought what the, uh, the Puritans brought together and, and they, feasted and yeah. and these are the foods they feasted on you know generally speaking so, yeah and that's something that should be embraced yeah. that doesn't mean you come up with you don't you don't come up with some new recipe sure. or and you know i think green bean casserole is one of those new recipes yeah <laughs> you know relatively speaking and that's okay but but at the at the root of the food there should definitely be americanness and a connection to that story yeah i i, I love that part of it you know there's something to tradition that um i think is often overlooked because we live in such a progressive society. And I mean, progressive, not now in the bad way. Yeah. Yeah. Not in the way I meant that earlier, but this idea that we want to transcend uh, what is tradition instead of conserving certain things. And and I'm always thoughtful or this always reminds me in the fifth commandment where God says to honor your father and mother, Mm -hmm. that your days may be long on the earth. And I believe that that statement, that first commandment with promise has to do with tradition, the traditions of your fathers, particularly a, a, you know, a biblical or um, for that time, the Jewish history, but our Christian heritage, but there ought to be something in tradition that honors our ancestors and where they stood because we're part of that tradition. And how ungrateful a Jewish child would we have considered him if he had complained that the bitter herbs were bitter. Yeah. Right. It meant something. And you'd be surprised at where stories emerge. Let me revisit once more that dish that I hate, the green bean casserole. You know, you get a a can of mushroom soup usually and like glop that in there. (laughs) Listen, as far as I'm concerned, that dish is a beautiful acknowledgement of the depression. (laughs) (laughs) And that's good. It's cool that that great grandma introduced that into the family's traditions because it reminds us who we are. Yeah. This is hilarious that you brought that up. I I remember when um, my grandparents were raising, would be my dad and his brothers, um, they were very poor miners. Uh, Grandma was raised on a, she was a potato farmer, her dad Mm. was, and, Anyway, very, very poor. They lived through the depression, all that. Um, and so they would have something called milk toast. Okay. Mm. And that was usually when they, at the end of the month, they were running out of groceries. And so she would take the rest of the flour and stuff and make homemade bread. And they would just 
thicken with some flour, milk uh, that they could get from the from the dairy, thicken the milk and pour it over the bread, and they had milk toast. And the way my dad and brothers would talk about it, like when we were kids, that would be like a special dish we get to eat. Yeah. But that was what they ate because they, they had were, to. That was what they were trying to survive on. Yeah. yeah. That was all that there was, you know. And and so it's interesting how these sort of survival dishes like green bean casserole yep. actually become something elevated. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Be- because of the story. Yeah, absolutely. So you you finish this off with a beautiful doxology to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's drink our thanks. I actually didn't read that the first time. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So there's a the I I end the poem with three verses. You know, it is celebrating Father, and then celebrating Son, then celebrating Holy Spirit, uh, and then and then some lines of to, to toast. And this was a, for a public reading. So even the hip hip hooray bits. Uh, the the first time I performed the poem, I had coached everyone to to shout hooray after hip hip. Um, and so, you know, those lines, the first time they were performed actually were for a toast and people were raising their glasses. Oh, that's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. Um, so we have time, um, to have you read one more poem and, um, and I'm going to make these available or I'll make a, a link available, uh, to Joffrey's book. Um, so it's well-met poems of companionship. Okay. Very good. Um, I'll make the, the link available in the show notes and you can get both these poems in the book. And he's going to finish with this poem called the God of pumpkin pie. All right. The beasts of the forest. I'll thank God in chorus for the acorns all strewn neath the light of the moon. The oak tree is king in the woods of the east. Its roots reach down deep to the sky. A flock of plump turkey passing through make their feast. On them will the same with a sigh. We'll eat turkey and pumpkin pie, my boys. Turkey and pumpkin pie. The boar roots and snuffles. The sow digs the truffles. For the treats that they find, they thank God who is kind. The pigs whom we feed and tender our care as there in their wallows they lie, are sweetest of meat and surpassing fair when cured off the rib and the thigh. So it's ham and pumpkin pie, my boys, ham and pumpkin pie. The beasts of the bog, the bogart, the frog, and magical man, how they love berry cran. The woodpeckers, warblers, and wrens of the slough never thought in their time neath the sky to mix sweet and tart in a red gummy goo that the maker of all glorifies. So it's sauce and pumpkin pie, my boys, sauce and pumpkin pie. The brewster or brewer, that fat barley stewer, lifts hands up to heaven for grain and for leaven. Of saints for all ales, either brood or miraculous, the church she has never been shy. Even good old St. Nick and St. Arnold the Immaculate praised our God for an ending supply. So it's beer and pumpkin pie, my boys, beer and pumpkin pie. You creatures of God who dwell in the sod, you armies above to your dread Lord in love, from whom blessings flow to the high and the low, praise him who is great with a lift of our plates. Our God gives pumpkin pie, my boys, our God gives pumpkin pie. That's a beautiful ending to a great podcast. (laughs) It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Scott. All right. Thank you, Joffrey. God bless all and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.